On today's Off the Circle, we are on location at Industrious talking to JBJ Legal. entrepreneurs and business people learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way off the circle the indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before today's episode of off the circle is brought to you by full stack peo and uh, full disclosure uh, i am now a client of full stack peo very excited about that with our uh, transition and a new company launch, which I have announced online. Uh, and on the line, I have Michael Kelly. Michael Kelly is a well-known entrepreneur here in the area, uh, founder of Developer Town and founder of Full Stack PEO. Uh, Michael, maybe you can share with everybody what Full Stack PEO does. And then, of course, it's applicable today's conversation with legal is legal advice as well. Yeah, so at Fullstack, we provide turnkey HR for emerging companies. That's going to be everything from payroll benefits, 401k, supplementary benefits, background checks, all of the things that you could possibly imagine from a people perspective. Uh, we focus on all of that so that your employees are taken care of, so you can focus on scaling your business. Hello there, and welcome to Off the Circle. Again, this is Ryan Grimes from My IT Indie here with Doug Carr from where are you from now? I, oh, wow, that's changing. Yeah. So, well, DK New Media is still my personal, you know, kind of thing. But basically, uh, the enterprise work that I was doing has merged and, and uh, been acquired by a company, Highbridge. So we're, we're kind of gathering and starting up in the Salesforce space. Awesome. Uh, we're here today with Kim and Hannah from JBJ Legal. Uh, you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Hi, I'm Hannah Kaufman-Joseph. I'm an attorney here in Indianapolis. I was uh, born and raised in Indianapolis and Carmel and lived here pretty much my whole life. In fact, almost the in my entire life, I've lived on the same street. Wow. Uh, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I've just kind of moved up and down 106th Street my whole life. So um, I went to uh, Indiana University for undergrad, and I went to um, IU McKinney for law school. And um, I have been practicing in Indianapolis since 2004. And my practice is generally focused on um, small business entrepreneurship, representing um, organizations and individuals with their legal needs, assisting them with their contracts, um, assisting them with their employment issues, handling really any kind of um, lease negotiation, um, but and also litigation that kind of relates to those issues. Um, I, My husband and I are also entrepreneurs. We founded King David Dogs, which um, is a hot dog restaurant wow. here in town. Yeah. King David, yeah. that's Good. fantastic. Well, it's closed now, yeah. but we were open for about four, 14 years, 12 years, oh, wow. something well, like that. Well, I was right around the corner. I had an office on Market Street at oh, the great. time. And so I just had to go nice. around the corner and get my dogs. What was yeah. your favorite hot dog from there? Uh, I'm a old New York guy, nice. you know, so that's that's it. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever try have our New York onion sauce? That was like something I, that we. I think I did. People it was, went crazy. It was for like it a little bit caramelized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah, so we had King David um, for a long time. We still have the brand. Um, there's still a location at the airport, but um, he, my husband's now focusing on Mercenary Barbecue, which is a custom craft barbecue. Um, and so we've been entrepreneurs for. A long time and that's really fun to kind of help with my practice because yeah. um, I can relate <laughs> yeah. to the things that they've been through I have had to get financing I've had to sign personal guarantees I've had to deal with 
some really crazy employment issues um, with our with King David and Mercenary, and so my clients can relate to me in a level that I think they really appreciate that I understand what they're going through. I understand the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and small business cycles, and um, so yeah, so we've been. Um, but that's why why I ended up representing entrepreneurs and small businesses. I when we started King David, we. Um, needed a lawyer to help with the lease and review the loan documents and file our um, for, a, for a trademark. And I was working at um, Finish Line as um, in-house counsel and realized that there was a need for sophisticated legal work for small businesses and found that people were typically only working with either kind of a generalist who did DUIs, divorces, and small business, or, yeah. they, or they were working with huge law firms that were working for Fortune 500 co- companies and then also tr- trying to do the same type of work for entrepreneurs. And so I decided that there was a, a ne- I thought there might be a need in that sort of niche space, but this was in 2008. This was before entrepreneurship was what it's become. Yeah. And uh, it just was kind of one of those things that it was the right, the right time and the right um, idea. And so I've been doing entrepreneurship law probably as long as anyone could say they've been doing entrepreneurship yeah. <laughs> law. Uh, there was no such thing when I when I started my practice. So, um, yeah, so I've been uh, working with small businesses and entrepreneurs now for about 12 years and um, joined up with Kim and BJ. And so I'll let Kim tell you guys about herself. Hi, I'm Kim Jazalskis. Um, I was born in Columbus, Indiana. I spent most of my childhood and young adulthood growing up in Muncie, Indiana. I went to uh, Ball State. I got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree from Ball State uh, in psychology. I thought I wanted to be a psychologist, so I was in in my master's program um, looking at organizational psychology, and we studied a lot of employment cases. And I got interested in the legal aspect of it. So instead of Going on to my PhD, I decided to go to law school. So I went to Valparaiso, Indiana, um, Valparaiso University School of Law to get my, my JD. Um, and really, I've my whole career, um, I've been focused on employment law, primarily on the individual side. So um, I represent people with uh, contract issues, covenants not to compete, non-solicits, all the way through sexual harassment, discrimination, benefits issues, um, you know, FMLA whistleblower cases. So I really, um, every once in a while I, um, assist on the employer side, but primarily I've been a plaintiff's attorney my whole career. Um, I also, my last semester in law school, uh, my husband and I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, and I did an internship with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission out there. And we thought we were going to stay out there. I got licensed out there and practiced for about two and a half years. And then family brought us back to Indiana. And at that point, everybody had relocated to Indianapolis. So we decided to park ourselves in Indianapolis yeah. near, near family. Um, and I've been, it's been almost 20 years I've been wow. in this area, in, mm. uh, in the I employment law area. I don't think I've ever met two true Hoosiers (laughs) in my entire life. Like you guys grew up here, lived here, went to school here, practice here. Like most people have the story where they 
you know, they they moved away and then came back, you right. know, 20 years mm-hmm. later to start their family or whatever. But you guys, we stayed. Oh my we God, you, out. Guys, <laughs> you guys have some roots. I tried to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did too. So I did one year of law school at University of Cincinnati yeah. and I absolutely adored the school. I did not, at the time, the city was not doing very yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I transferred back to um, IU McKinney and bought a little cute bungalow in Broader Bowl that I lived in for like all of a year. Yeah. And, uh, but had a, had, you know, it was, it was, Indiana is just one of those places that you either love it or you don't get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've had, but felt both ways over the years, but um, most, mostly it's, it's been really gratifying to live here. And now I look at Indianapolis and see how, vibrant it's become and it's I feel really excited about living in Indianapolis and proud of living in Indianapolis because it's it's really quite a impressive city um one of my good friends who moved away was here this came back this week and she didn't recognize the city I mean she's been gone for 15 years and she didn't she she really got lost because she was it was all so um so different so it's I joke with people that it's a trap yeah. <laughs> like it, it's a, if you move to Indianapolis, it's very, very difficult to move away. Yeah. And it's, you know, obviously there's, there's natural resources in other areas and yeah. everything that, that, that people miss. But, um, the funny thing is like, I have a friend of mine in, uh, San Diego and he never goes to the beach. Right. He never, you know, he right. never, he never goes out to eat cause right. he, it's, so expensive. it's so expensive and, and, and everything else. And so the funny thing is, is. He never comes to Indy or travels to any other cities because he can't afford right. it. And so the nice thing about living here is I can travel mm-hmm. and I can afford to go out. And I, you know, so I tell people it's a trap. You know, yeah. once you get here, it is really hard to leave. And it and it is a great culture. Yeah. Um, I should add that we are yeah. we were in the offices of Industrious um, down on Mass Avenue, which is an absolutely beautiful co-working space. Uh, this is, I think, my third or fourth time here, and I am always impressed with it. Uh, and then and then we have another guest. That can't introduce themselves. Um, <laughs> she, has, um, she she might she's be under the to. table sleeping right yeah. now. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, she's we, not. She's not yeah. super be, impressed by yeah. the podcast yeah. um, recording. She's very jaded. We have uh, we have Babette. Uh, oh, there she is. And uh, Babette is a corgi, and uh, and industrious. I didn't realize this is dog friendly. Dog friendly, and and, and in fact, mm-hmm. it's it's when we walked in and looked at industrious as a potential office space and saw that there were people with their dogs. You know, it gives you such a smile yeah. to see come into work and see a, a dog. And mm-hmm. you walk, you know, we'll see someone walk down the hall with a dog that we haven't seen before. And it, we all stop what we're doing and start yeah. running to chase the dog. <laughs> like, oh, look, there's a new puppy. Right. Um, and so we were, we loved that that changed the vibe. Yeah. We loved how, um, how it felt to have a dog friendly atmosphere. Um, and all, all three of us that founded JBJ, um, are dog lovers. That's so, awesome. um, that was that if, if there was any question between multiple options, I think that the dog friendliness is what maybe pushed us over the edge. We might we might have to make that a qualifying question for having people on the <laughs> Are you, you Do you like dogs <laughs> when you bring your dog? So what's it like working in a co-working space as attorneys? That's a, a generally not a thing you see very often. So tell us about some of the challenges you've had. Sure. Well, I think for us, one of the reasons that we decided, opted to do a co-working space um, was because it was so turnkey from the beginning. Um, We were not planning this for a long time when we decided to get started. So we needed something that was functional and 
professional from the beginning. Yeah. So we, we loved that we could move in, not have to worry about buying furniture, not have to worry about hiring a receptionist, have available conference space. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that we were able to join a private network right away and have unlimited printing and all these different things that these amenities that usually it takes a lot of time to create, develop, investigate, um, and then also have this ready-built community of really potential clients and great networking opportunities. Um, so that made it um, very attractive. Yeah. It's a great location, too. We're all, all three of us are really fond of this area of the city. Um, and so when we saw that the space was available here, we really jumped on it. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, it is unusual for our practice. We've had to make a lot of adjustments to how we spend our days because attorneys are on the phone a lot. We have lots of meetings. We have um, lots of stressful days. And each of us were used to being in really a more traditional private office. Um, and we decided that just from economical re for economical reasons and also just kind of as we're learning as we go, we decided to rent two suites. And so we have two suites for uh, six of us. So we're split up three and three. And um, so we've had to adjust sharing an office. And, yeah. it, you know, I think to other, in under, other industries, it wouldn't at all be unusual to all be working in one room. But for us, it's very different. Um, and there's been some really great things about it and some frustrating things about it. Um, you know, we, what's, what's nice is that here there's these phone booths so that we can step out very quickly to jump into a phone booth, to have a conversation where, you know, we do so many, we have so many conversations every day with our right. clients, with other attorneys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, and it can be disruptive to one another. So we try to do, we try to be respectful in that way, but we also get to collaborate much more frequently than we ever would have when we were in separate offices, yeah. um, you know, you'd have to run down the hall to say, what do you think about this argument? Or have you ever seen this before? Or do you, have you, do you know of a case that supports this position? And sometimes you don't do it because I mean, attorneys are hardwired <laughs> to bill by the hour, right? Bill by the minute. Right. <laughs> and so your instinct is to sit at your desk and keep working and, even when it may be more productive, more efficient to collaborate, you you tend to stay kind of siloed in your office. So having a co-working vibe that we're able to kind of sit together and share our ideas um, and sometimes even chime in when we're not asked, right? Like we hear someone talking about something, oh, did you know I did that before? Or, oh, I had a case. I had that, I had an almost identical case. Or I know that lawyer. Yeah. Be careful. Right. They're crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that has been a really unexpected benefit. So that's huge efficiencies, mm -hmm. I, can, I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also helped just in terms of um, our developing our business. So mm -hmm. instead of, you know, a lot of times we have time on the calendar to have a partner meeting, but, you know, throughout the week, we'll have little partner meetings, you know, right. Impromptu, impromptu right, meetings. Yeah. And it's, it's good because then we we're all there. We can talk about it, which I think is important in the early phase of our, of our business that we're all sort of there and connected to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We've gotten, we certainly have gotten closer by sharing the space. Um, and you'd think that being kind of together all, every day would be maybe 
a, re- a recipe for tension or, or getting on each other's nerves, but we really aren't. And it's funny that we sit in that space and there are times when we are talking and then there are times when it's completely silent and it's a very comfortable silence, which oh. is a good um, indication that you're, you've, you've reached a point of comfort with your partners, right. that mm-hmm. your friends, you don't have to fill the silence. Um, and it's funny that we spend so much time together and then we still elect to go to lunch. Many, many lots, yeah. a lot, a lot. We go to lunch together. We go to have drinks together. So, um, it, it's much better than I thought it might be. I, I was really nervous about it, but none of us wanted to work out of our homes. Um, it, it's, it's very, I find it to be very challenging. Yeah. Um, so we, for us, it's been the perfect solution while we look for whether, and, and our, eventually we're going to move into a more permanent space where we, build out a traditional office. But sure. um, for now, in this sort of startup mode, it's been ideal. Well, it affords you the opportunity, I guess, for um, one, like you said, you didn't have to make this massive investment up front so you can grow your firm and, mm-hmm. and get to where you need to be. And then probably two, you know, even when you do do that build out, it's probably going to be very different from the law firm of, you know, yeah. 20 years ago, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we get to be picky. You know, yeah. we aren't in a huge rush to move into that permanent space because we, so we can be selective. When we first were, were opening our doors, we looked at some more traditional office space that I think is what you're thinking of when you think of the law firms of 20 years ago. And it didn't feel right. Yeah. We, we went to a tower and we looked at a space and it would have been on paper, I guess it was perfect. It yeah. was impressive. It had great views. The offices were huge. You know, there was all the amenities of the building. And it, I think all of us had this sort of feeling that it was very generic. It was yeah. sterile. Mm-hmm. Felt sterile. Same and, color wallpaper and yeah. carpet. And- very traditional, very conservative. And it didn't feel like it reflected our personalities. And I don't think our clients would have identified with it either. Mm. Our clients are not typically the type of client that I think would be impressed or even maybe appreciate the fact that, that you know, you go to the top floor of a, of a tower and see this impressive office lobby and view. Um, you know, I know that my clients have said to me that when they see that, they know that that's one of the reasons their rates are high. Right. Mm. I was going to say that. I was. Uh, that's the first thing you see, right? Yeah, is, is <laughs> right. You, you, you kind of look around and you go, "Oh boy, this is going to cost." This me is going to be really yeah. expensive, yeah. and yeah. we want the I, we want our clients to feel the opposite. Right. We want to feel. We want them to feel relatable, mm-hmm. to, able to relate to us, and we want them to be able to under. We want our billing to be transparent. We yeah. want our value to be transparent, and so our office space will have a lot to do with that. So whether it's being an industrious now or it's our permanent space, either way, we intend to send a message with our with the look and location and feel of our space. That's fantastic. Yeah. Indianapolis um, has got a lot of co-working spaces in it now. It I know does. you're out of Launch Fishers yeah. and I'm out of level two in Plainfield. It's a one out there. Yeah. Uh, it's just so easy to you know, it's not expensive yeah. compared to yeah. a traditional office mm-hmm. and it allows startups to have a place they can call their own and mm-hmm. do the networking side of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Industrious has got it. What, what, do you get a lot of your business from the people here? Or We've, you know, we haven't gotten a ton. We've gotten a few um, opportunities through Industrious. Mm-hmm. It's partially because we haven't 
fully taken advantage of the yeah. social factor, <laughs> yeah. right? There is a great social part mm-hmm. of this space. Um, there's Thursday happy hours, there's breakfast every day, there's all these different opportunities. And because we've been so consumed with getting the business launched and kind of getting everything transitioned, sure. I don't know that we've taken full advantage, but yeah. just by being here, we've mm-hmm. gotten a few sure. opportunities. So, you know, imagine if we put a little bit more effort into it, I think we'd, we'd be um, in great shape. But I know a marketing guy. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> he, he just got acquired. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. Thanks, yeah. That's it's, very exciting. It is It is exciting. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing kind of come up, in, and I think it's it's a, there's a parallel, is, you know, when I started my business, I had to get an office space. Okay. Had to. Like, in order to appear relevant and appear like I was an actual business, right. you know, I had to invite people into my office mm-hmm. and everything else. And then I, I closed that office and went to a co-working space. Mm-hmm. And the reason was, was uh, I think that the tide changed mm-hmm. and all of a sudden companies started to look at, oh, oh, you're at a co-working space. Fantastic. Right. I'll meet you down there and yeah. everything. And it's, uh, it's interesting to see like the perspective change that, mm-hmm. you know, it was scary to hire anybody that didn't have a physical office space before you know but now it's the norm it's people working out of their home office people working out of co-working facilities everything else and it's intriguing to me and that's why we're here right Mm -hmm. is is that now we have a law firm Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. you know taking that entrepreneurial route too uh by the way the second remark i'll say is you talked about going down the entrepreneurial route. It's so good to see that you took the easiest industry to jump into, the restaurant yeah. industry. <laughs> right. Yes, it was no sweat, I tell you. It's like printing money, wasn't in, it? Yeah. Yes, in our sleep. We didn't have to we didn't have to go at all crazy hours or deal yeah. with customers that yeah. had very interesting yeah. feedback. Um, yeah, restaurant industry is not for the faint of heart. But I'll tell you that um, I one of the things that was – kind of an unintended consequence of having King David was the the fact that I ended up kind of right smack in the middle of the independent restaurant community of Indianapolis. So we got to know so many of the restaurateurs, the chefs, the investors, the vendors that worked with restaurants. And that has been a absolute um, huge opportunity for my practice. I I represent a number of really... um, impressive restaurants in town and have loved every second of it. Whether, you know, I've worked with Jonathan Brooks from Milk Tooth for years. Yeah. I've worked with Bluebeard. I've worked with um, Late Harvest Kitchen. I've worked with, oh, those are some, um, yeah, I mean, some of the best. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And um, I work with The Goose. I work yeah. with um, uh, Rosie's Place in Carmel. And I know I'm forgetting lots of others. Yeah. Um, but those those opportunities, one feeds into the next, yeah. right? So they they... Um, you work with one one owner or, or um, chef, and, and they say, oh, I know an attorney that, that handles restaurants. And, and restaurants are a really unique kind of intersection of different business issues um, because they always have a lease. They always have funding issues. They always yeah. need to raise capital. A lot of times they have investors that, that may be – new to the um, to the food and, and hospitality world. Oh, King Doe, that's another one that I've been working with that I love. They're terrific. Um, and so they have all these different issues. It's kind of like I get to – it's almost like a case study where I get to do all of my favorite things for clients in one 
um, in kind of one opportunity because they have a lease, they have employees, they have to deal with, you know, creating a handbook, they have um, investors, they have contracts with their vendors. And so we have all these different legal issues that come up and, and it's, so it's always interesting and fun. And, you know, it's nice to be able to get in at the big restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't absolutely. you know who I am? <laughs> never, ever, ever. No ever. idea. Who are you? Right. No, the host would definitely not know who I am. Although, there are a few hosts in town that I've become very good friends with. Yeah, so that's fantastic. Really, the best way to get in is just yeah. to be nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, too, that you guys are uh, specialized kind of on both sides of the wall, too, that you're working mm-hmm. in employment, you know, uh, but, but really on the employee side. And then you're working working on the employer side. That's, yeah. yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, Kim, why don't you share a little bit about working kind of the vision of the, like what, what the employees need and what you've been doing with them. Right. Well, so really it, you know, my practice, I do a split of litigation and I would call it transactional work. Um, A lot of my clients are people who I see either on the front end of they're going into a job and they need a contract negotiated, um, or they're coming out of a job and they have a severance agreement, or they have a non-compete and they're uh, afraid they're going to get sued. Yeah. Um, you know, or they they feel like they were terminated for a reason that might not be legal. So we explore those those avenues. Yeah. Um, but all you know, all of the employment related work that I do, um, I think benefits. Um, Hannah or BJ when they have an employer related issue because I can give them the perspective of the plaintiff's attorney right? and I can give them pointers and tell them how a plaintiff's attorney might see it and what they can do to either improve the, their client situation or, um, you know, help prevent it from happening again. Yeah. So it's really, if you've only been on the defense side, um, your whole career, it's kind of hard to see the other perspective. Yeah. Um, but since I've been, you know, primarily plaintiffs, but also I've had some employer related experience. I think it's, it's very helpful for our clients who are employers and they have employment related issues. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I, I, and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, some of the advice that you guys might have for people like on, on your side. Um, that is interesting to me, like non-compete, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've got an attorney, so it's always been kind of a mixed bag. Like Mm -hmm. it's a right to work state. Uh, you, they can't take away your livelihood, Mm -hmm. but at the same time you can't poach and, you know, and do other things, you know, at what point should someone, you know, that's maybe being held to a non-compete or whatever, when is it time to call an attorney and say, you know, is this right? You know, is, is this right what they're doing to me? Before they sign, yes, yes. Before they sign the non-compete is the time to call the attorney. That's great advice. Ideally, yeah, ideally, and and I mean, I know Kim will have plenty of thoughts about this too. I would just suggest that one of the things that I think I wish more people understood was that they do have options when an employer presents them with an employment agreement or a non-compete or an an NDA. Um, The employer 
can say, you know, sign this or you, you lose your job. And sometimes you have to make a decision. Yeah. But a lot of the times it can be negotiated. A lot of the times wow. you can carve different things out of a non-compete or a non-solicit. So relationships that you're bringing to the, um, to the employer can sometimes be excluded so that in the event that it doesn't work out, you can go back to these existing relationships. Um, but what, you know, what the other thing I would just say is that I, I think there are so many misconceptions about non-competes and, and non-solicitation agreements They people, um, there's a lot of old wives tales out there yeah. about, um, I can't tell you how often pe people say to both of us, but they're not enforceable, right? A non-compete. I hear Indiana is really hard on non-competes. Well, yes, that's true, but that doesn't mean that yours isn't enforceable. Right. And, it's and always fact specific. Yeah. It's, and it depends on the agreement, you know. Um, it, it all depends on how the agreement's written and the facts in your matter. Um, and, and it's never a good idea to go into a contract. This is true in any context, right, in employment or otherwise. Don't ever go into a contract assuming that you're out is that it won't be enforced. That, that's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible bet to take yeah. because even if it's true, it's going to cost you a fortune to get there. Right. Um, you know, if, if someone's gone to the trouble of writing a contract and asked you to sign it, don't ever assume that it's not going to matter. It's yeah. there for a reason, and you don't want to test whether it can mm. be enforced. The That's better thing to do is to spend a little bit of money on the front end, have it reviewed, make sure you understand what you're signing, mm. and then at the very least, you can make an informed decision. Well, and that's what I was going to say. You know, if you're if you're going into a job that's a fifty thousand dollar a year, you know, job, are you are you going to gamble the entire you know your mm -hmm. future on you know spending a few hundred dollars with an attorney just for some preliminary review and advice? Mm -hmm. That's you know, um, I joked. We joked before the podcast that um, I wouldn't tell any attorney jokes, and one of the reasons why <laughs> is because there was one point in my career where I did not contact an attorney because I thought it would be too expensive, mm -hmm. and it literally cost me millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and not not me paying, but lost right. you know, lost, lost opportunity. Yeah, lost mm -hmm. opportunity. And so I tell people now, you know, if you if you get to a point where you think that you um, might need an attorney, go get one. Right. Just go get one. Because it, one, I've never had mm -hmm. it be so expensive that it was extraordinary, mm -hmm. you know? And then two, it, it really did help me kind of get counsel on whether I was incorrect, right. what my perceptions were, what my bias was, sure. you know? And so it's always been, you know, insightful to me to, to have someone, I mean, I mean, I, I love the the term counselor is great because right. that's exactly what you guys are. You're providing counsel to people on, you know, the legalities of, of what they're, you know, what they're doing. And so, um, it's, it's, do it. Well, yeah. spend, spend and one thing that we try to do differently is to be very cognizant of when we can add value and when we can't. Yeah. So if a client comes to us, and I've had this happen many times with with small businesses, it's very different for them to ask me to review a contract with Microsoft than it is to <laughs> review a contract with a local website developer. Right. right. So if a client comes to me and says, you know, I have this, I, this came up all the time when people were doing Groupon all the, a lot and they would say, you know, here's my Groupon contract. Should you review it? And my question back is, well, do you want me to review it so you understand it? Or do you want me to review it to negotiate it? Because reviewing it to negotiate it is going to be a waste of time and a waste of your money because yeah. they're not, I, 
I've already been down this road. Groupon doesn't negotiate on most of their contract. Right. But, but if you want me to explain what you're agreeing to, then that might be a good investment. If a client is coming to us and saying, you know, I need, is it, how much will it cost for you to review this employment agreement? You know, what are my risks? We will sit with them and, and kind of give them a, a upfront understanding of a budget to expect and whether this might be a good investment or not. And a lot of times our, our goal is more to build trust with the client so that sometimes we don't get the short-term project. And we, in fact, we tell them you don't need an attorney right now. This is not a good time to hire an attorney, especially if you, for example, when someone's already signed it, yeah. right? And they've already signed it on a compete and they're still working there and there's no point in maybe having us negotiate it. We'll be, we'll say, listen, I don't think it's a great use of your funds right now, but if you want to negotiate something on your, during your exit, we'd be happy to help at that point. And so we really try to take a longer view with the client that not every um, time that a client calls may result in an engagement, but they will trust that we will only um, incur legal fees on their behalf when they, when we think it's the right, you know, use of, of an, maybe a good cost benefit. Right. So, right. um, we, we found that that's kind of flies in the face of what people expect an attorney to say or do. Um, and, but we invest a lot of time in potential clients that ultimately do not retain us maybe for a year or two years. And that's okay because some, you know, we, we feel that it's better to, give it away when it's appropriate to do so, knowing that it builds our reputation. And we, we believe that people will trust that we will, you know, take care of them and do, do so fairly. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. I think that's a, especially nowadays, (laughs) um, where everything's social word of mouth is a huge deal. You know, if, if, if you go into a meeting on the consulting side, again, we work into this, you know, if, if you're doing a billable hours job and you're working with a firm that just wants to stack meeting after meeting Mm -hmm. and put six people in the room, what they're doing is just racking up, you know, billable hours, you know? And so, or do you want to work with someone that says, you know what, we really don't need to have a meeting until we reach this point, you know, and, and let's do that. And I feel like nowadays, especially with social media and, and reviews online and, and word of mouth, uh, people are becoming, you know, better consumers. They Mm -hmm. are, they're becoming very aware of how companies are actually Mm -hmm. doing business and, Mm -hmm. and you guys are going to win, you know, maybe you'll lose business up front because of that lose money, I should say yeah. upfront, but long-term you're, you're going to have someone that stays with you for That's right. the lifetime of their, you know, business. They're, they're going to call you every single time. That's right. Yeah. And the model in law firms has changed so dramatically. There was just an article in, um, um, Bloomberg about the risk of a small firm trying to mimic a large law firm mm. and their, the business models are as not as different as you can imagine. I mean, it is night and day. And when a small firm tries to essentially just model its, its itself after a large firm based on billable hours, billable hour requirements, huge retainers, you know, rates, rate increases every year, 
that it, that doesn't work in a small firm. What a small firm can do that a large firm can't do is be nimble. Right. Is be dynamic. Now, large firms, no knock on large firms. There, they there is a time and place for a, a, a deep bench. There's a time and place for specialized expertise. Yeah. You know, I don't. Neither of us could ever touch a municipal bond, nor would we want to. And that's <laughs> right. the kind of work that a large firm could do in its sleep. Um, but for us, we need to focus on what we can do well, not try to copycat what you know a large firm what their model is to what their which is their bread and butter and and instead do what we do which is deliver value in creative ways and yeah. not you know sort of slaves to the billable hour let's let's talk a little bit about i i love how you're talking about how the you know the legal profession and how there's two sides and 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 adjustments i'm curious from both of you you know from when you decided to become an attorney <laughs> uh, you know and going to school for it was there was there any type of shock when you actually you know opened that that maybe you weren't prepared for or or benefit that you were like this is so much better than I thought it was going to be? Go ahead. Because hmm. you changed majors, right? You, yeah. You know, <laughs> so you were heading down one road. Although and, you know, I still use a lot of my psychology background. Yeah. With with people, um, I never you know I always knew I wanted to go into employment law, and I figured that it would be on the employee side. So I knew going into it that I wouldn't be at a big firm because there are no, in Indiana or, or Arizona, there were no huge plaintiff's employment firms. So yeah. I, I knew I would either be on my own or in a smaller, smaller firm. Um, so I never, I never had the experience of being in a big firm and liking it or not liking it and then moving on. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, um, I've always wanted to be with a small group of people to work as a team. And um, I've been lucky enough that it's it's pretty much been that way for my career. Did did law school prepare you to actually start your business? No. Okay. No. No. Okay. I think, um, like Hannah, she and I both grew up in family businesses um, you know, my dad owned his own business. Hannah's dad owned her own business. So I think we got sort of a little bit of training, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that it's not unusual or scary, um, to be a business owner. And now my husband and I own my dad's business oh, together. Yeah. So uh, law school doesn't prepare you to be a business owner. So I, I don't know how it would have been different if I hadn't gotten that right. experience as a, as a kid right. growing up. But um, it's definitely something that, that schools, I think, should think about. Yeah. Because there are a lot of attorneys who aren't great business owners. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I, I wasn't terribly good myself. So. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is that law school not only doesn't prepare you to be a business owner, it doesn't really prepare you to be a lawyer. Be a lawyer, yeah. Um, it, it, it helps you study for the bar. It helps you study for the bar. It, right. it teaches you endurance. It teaches yeah. you patience. It teaches you reasoning skills. But it doesn't, I mean, it, and, it, and I will say it's changed since I went to law school. It's gotten, there have been movements to make it more practical. Um, but it's, it's very frustrating 
to come out of law school and be, um, you are so inexperienced and really almost unqualified to do anything. Um, And so I remember when I graduated feeling like, will this, will I ever feel competent? Mm. Will I ever feel like I'm good at this? And, and I felt that way for far longer than I ever expected. And, but for me, the biggest surprise was that I really disliked practicing law until I was my own boss. Mm. I could not stand, um, really following and executing on someone else's approach and really being accountable when I didn't understand the big picture. Um, For me, working on a piece of a case and not being kind of privy to the entire um, timeline or understand the the objectives or the strategy and instead just literally just do a, you know, a sort of individual project, research project or write a part of a brief. That, it was really hard to get excited about that. And, And so... For me, when it really all started to click was when I had my own clients, when I was able to adjust the practice to fit my lifestyle, to fit my goals, my family. Um, And, you know, it's not that I work any less. In fact, I think I work far more than I did when I was kind of a traditional associate or working Um, in-house. You know, back then I could, I could. I would resent the weekends or nights that I would work because it didn't, I didn't have ownership. Mm-hmm. And, and now I love to come in on the weekends. I love to work at night I, because it's mine and it needs to get done. And if I go home, I'm just going to be worrying about it. So I would rather work and the, the, fee, the it's so gratifying to be your own boss, to have your own practice. And um, that was really where it all changed for me. Um, it's, it's the law schools need to, to do a better job training lawyers on taking ownership and being independent on essentially developing the skills that they need to be a lawyer because the law schools are still reflecting the model of 20 to 50 years ago where yeah. they're training, you know, new associates for large firms when really I think that's a tiny percentage of the graduates. They don't become right a big firm associates. Um, very few of them do. Lots well, and, of, and probably mm-hmm. nowadays it's it's probably the the independents are probably even growing even more. Further. Absolutely. Yeah. People that are, even big firms are probably more. hiring a specialist. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. They're they're people are hanging shingles yeah. right after right out of law school, which is incredibly brave. Yeah. Um, people are joining small practices, they're joining businesses to provide legal services in addition to maybe other, you know, professional services, but they are, and, and yet the law schools are still training you to write briefs and memorandums, which is something that most lawyers don't do on a day-to-day basis. Most lawyers are actually in there helping their client, talking to them, coming up with solutions, you know, helping with their contracts, helping with their litigation, but they're not writing research memos on a 50 to state survey of environmental law. That's, that's not, it's, it's a great skill to have, but it's certainly not a very practical one. My, my, uh, my nephew uh, is in law school right now and he, he went to a, I'm going to get this wrong. Is it like a T12 school or a T it's the top, um, uh, top tier. Yeah. Top Mm -hmm. tier. 
um, school tried to get in, uh, got booted in the first, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, few months or whatever. And he was devastated, just devastated, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, I sent him Malcolm Gladwell actually did an amazing yeah. podcast kind of just, just kind of picking apart what you were talking about that the way that it was done before never prepared an attorney. And so a lot of it is if you're at a top tier school and you graduate, you go hire a top tier yep. graduate. Yep. And so it's a networking Absolutely. thing, but it has nothing to do with preparation and skill set and ability to be successful as an mm-hmm. attorney and to 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 make an in, uh, difference. And I I told him I was like, you have to listen. He did yeah. two podcasts on it, and and just you know, of course, his approach was ripping you know <laughs> the, the schools apart. You know, but he showed even from a data standpoint, he showed that, you know, that there was literally no, even from a litigation standpoint, there was no difference in, in the outcome of the attorney, attorney, you know, whether you went to a top school or what they called a bottom school, you know, like Ohio state or something, which, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they ranked one of the lowest, but had some of the best attorneys across the country, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's a fascinating kind of look, you know, into that, that, um, and your business is obviously, Obviously reflective of that, mm-hmm. that you're not, you know, right. you're, you're taking a totally different approach to how you're working with clients and where you're working with clients and everything yeah. else. That's great. Mm-hmm. So someone in law school right now, they're up 26 hours a day. Studying. <laughs> they're, they're cramming all these words into their heads. What was some, what's the best thing you could tell them to do right now? Uh, pace yourself. Pace yourself. Um, the things that you think are vital and crucial in law school often don't translate to a successful career, exactly what you guys were just yeah. saying. And so, and and one of the things I think law schools do very poorly is the develop camaraderie. They instead develop competition, encourage competition. You're ranked, in mm. fact, you're ranked. Mm. And you get, when you get sucked in, and that's the only way to put it, right? You get sucked in and you think that the war, that your view in law school is reality that all that matters is whether you get an interview at xy firm all that matters is that you get xy grade all that matters is that you have networked and joined the right organizations and in, and none of that stuff matters hmm. very rarely you're after your first job your grades will never matter again right you will never matter never matter the only thing that matters is your experience your people skills your you know, your, your willingness to learn, your networking, those are the things that matter. And so don't, I mean, when I say pace yourself, I also mean like, don't take it all that seriously. Do a good job, do your best and recognize that there is a long life after law school. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I suppose, I mean, we're, I'm, we're, I hope we're not totally trashing law school. Here no, no. I, I hope, you know, my, my daughter has th- talked about going and I'm like, do it, you know, mm-hmm. Of course, there's the things that it does prepare you for too. You know, mm-hmm. and that's reading comprehension, yes. and you know, and all of those, you know, different, yeah, yeah, perseverance and 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 attention to detail, and you know, so they definitely provide you that expertise and that practice, so that then, you know, once you get out in law school, you you work on your networking, yeah. and, <laughs> you know, and everything else. So, what would you say? I, I would say um, learn how to incorporate some some life balance. I remember getting, when I was in school, getting just too sucked into, I've got to study every day, every hour of the day, and it had no 
really I didn't learn how to balance anything besides study, mm. um, which it's not going to be like that when you get out right. with a job. Um, you know, if you get married or if you have kids or, or whatever, you have to learn how to how to balance it. And um, so it was a little, it, you know, and maybe I would have, I mean, I did fine in law school grade-wise, but maybe I would have done better if I stepped away from it for a little bit and then went back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But they don't really encourage that, though, either. I mean, no. you're encouraged to keep going and study more and you're going to, you know, where everybody's ranked, you know, who got what on what test. And, um, so it's cutthroat. it is, it's cutthroat. it is, you know, if, if, if someone were in law school, I would also tell them to take practical as many practical yep. courses as the law school offers. Writing some classes. law schools do this really well. Some law schools don't, but I can tell you that McKinney at, here in Indianapolis does have a good job with, um, offering some practical options, including classes on mediate, how to conduct a mediation. Hmm. Um, they have clinics on um, real estate transactions, like landlord-tenant clinics. They have clinics on um, on uh, representing criminal, there's criminal um, law clinics where you actually rep- work with um, criminal um, defendants in the community to provide legal assistance to them. Wow. So I believe that's that's one of the clinics in the law school. Um, and, the law, and so the law school is doing something great for the community. The students are actually getting practical hands-on experience because you also, in law school, you may not know what you want to do. You may think you want to do something. And then when you actually do it, it could may not be at all what you, what you want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I never in a million years thought I would be a, a lawyer focusing on contracts. I thought contracts in law school was the most boring topic mm-hmm. that could possibly be presented. And maybe tax would be worse. But those two things I never thought would be part of my practice. I took death penalty law and I took juvenile law and every family law class offered. And, uh, and I did one family law case at the beginning of my career and absolutely hated it yeah. and knew that I could never do it. It was too intense. It was too emotional. It was too devastating. And um, I remember when it clicked to me that contracts form the basis of almost every human interaction in yeah. our society. You enter into a contract 20 times a day. Whether you're taking a parking ticket in a, in a parking garage, you've yeah. just entered into a contract. When you um, when you sign um, at the gas station for to pay for your gas, you've just entered into a contract. Mm. There are contracts littered in your day, and and every business issue has has some genesis in a contract. So when that like aha moment occurred for me, that was when it really made sense to me that contracts were going to be an absolutely fascinating part of my career. Yeah. So you know, be open minded, but try to be take practical courses you know at McKinney I teach contract drafting and um, it's when I was in law school I never I didn't try to draft a contract until four years after I graduated law school wow I never reviewed yeah. one touched mm-hmm. one nothing yeah it's such a huge part of the practice law and litigation too you write settlement agreements um, you have review, you review contracts and yet you go through and all you've done is review cases about contracts. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you can have the chance to actually write and review and negotiate a contract in law school, you will be way ahead of the curve um, when it comes to practicing. That's incredible. Um, let's let's close out with, uh, we always like to ask our clients uh, or our, our 
guess here, you know, who are the customer types that you really just love working with? Because if, if anybody's listening, obviously, that's interested, you know, um, what kind of customer do you guys really appreciate when you get to get in your firm? Hmm. I work with so many different people. Um, <laughs> Even generally. Like, I mean, on your, on your side, it seems like it's, it's everybody that might come to you is really, really just in terrible need of some yeah. assistance. I mean, at this point in my career, I like working with um, professional women, I would mm -hmm. say, uh, who are either they've experienced harassment in the workplace or they have um, contractual issues that they're dealing with. Um, I, I find those kinds of um, clients, I find it really fulfilling yeah. that I've helped them either um, negotiate something or resolve something um, and help them in their career, help them move along. Well, and that's I, I, nowadays with a growing base of, finally, <laughs> a growing base of women-owned businesses and business leaders Absolutely. and everything. I think that's becoming more and more critical too. You know that that there's not a advantage taken of or uh, you know or somebody just you know preying on mm -hmm. on on that. So that's that's fantastic. When women are still paid, I think we're now up to about seventy cents on the dollar. Yeah, unless they're running the business. Though. Right. 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 <laughs> um, you're not getting paid which, anything. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> no, I always right. I, I have a daughter who's you know entrepreneurial spirited and everything else, and I and I tell her that. Like, yeah. Like then you know, be the boss and you'll be that, the right? boss yeah. and be and set the example. Right? right. You know. So. Yeah, you know that's baked in discrimination. Yeah. When women are paid significantly less right. and, and Kim and I both experienced that firsthand in the workplace I mean we were paid less sure. um, than our male counterpart parts and it is um, excruciating right. and um, sometimes sexism and harassment are very subtle in fact I would say most of the time yeah I I, t I mean I've worked for companies that have gotten you know uh, I didn't own them but sued you know and everything and when they actually did this you know every leader sitting at the table was like that's impossible I know but when they analyzed the data it was absolutely an issue, that's you know? Right. And so once they started focusing on how to fix that, right. that's when things got better in the workplace. But you're, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's a, almost a hidden, you know, bias that people don't even, they don't even realize exists. And it, and it, and it expresses itself in ways that are really insidious to women in the workplace, whether it's, um, I mean, I, I can tell you that at one point, one of, in a, in a prior position before we founded JBJ, I, I had a, a partner that used to say to me, don't your kids miss you? Ugh. Don't your kids miss you when you work late? I, 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 I just, I don't understand how you can work so late every night. And it was so profoundly disappointing. Yeah. Um, it was insensitive. He clearly wasn't, first of all, he was there too. Yeah. And he had right. kids, kids right. 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 right? right. He was there too, and and yet still asked me that question more than maybe. Once. What he was really saying is, I really don't care about my kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> kids yeah. Kids, right? <laughs> he could have fooled me with the amount of time he told me about his kids' sports. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, the point being, you know, there are so many ways that that kind of um, bias expresses itself, yeah. and so I think for both of us, it's it's gratifying to work with. Female entrepreneurs, female um, professional, you know, professional employees, and 
Um, and, you know, we, I mean, we've been working on um, a case involving Attorney General Curtis Hill. Um, we represent the four victims that were harassed by, allegedly were harassed by him. Yeah. Um, and that case has always, has been really meaningful for us because yeah. um, it, when, when you get the opportunity to work with really wonderful people that have been through something terrible and you can try to help them and give them a voice and, and help them find um, maybe a better outcome or a better um, improve the status quo, it, it's really gratifying. Well, in that, in that, that particular case, you know, the, the great thing about that is ultimately that will change the way that's the hope. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, it's such a high hope. profile yeah. you know, yeah. case that, you know, regardless of what the outcome is, mm-hmm. people are people being more are, cautious. People are starting to look at their internal we hope know, so. uh, behaviors and, and mechanisms. So, well, uh, it's overdue. Yeah. It's overdue. Yeah. And it right. and often, you know, in the, in the political and public sphere, those are that sometimes that's the place where things happen the slowest. And yeah. so, um, it's, it's understandable. I mean, Progress is always excruciatingly slow, but um, and the private sector is often motivated to do it a little better and a little faster. Yeah. Um, so we, but we are proud and happy to have those kinds of cases. Um, and I think we, Kim and I both love working with women generally. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> there aren't tons of lawyers that are our, that are our age. Um, although women are graduating in law schools and record numbers, over 50% right. of the law school graduates are women, but they're not staying in the profession hmm. um, and they're leaving the profession. And so, you know, Kim's been practicing for 20 years. I've been practicing for over 15, uh, but the women continue to kind of seem to self-select out. And it's really unfortunate. Um, it's not that they're not gifted, brilliant lawyers. It's that the, um, Career well, it, is not the friendliest. Right. Then. If it's not fulfilling, if it's not, yeah, if you're not, yeah, I can it's really totally hard. see that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we like to, sometimes we have clients that really want to work with a female lawyer, yeah. not just in areas of mm-hmm. employment discrimination and sexual harassment. I mean, female entrepreneurs love that I do entrepreneurial work as well, because I think they find it, um, they like to support a, another female professional just like we like to support them. Yeah. Um, and so that would be an area for us that we really like to work with. And and then generally, I mean, for us, as far as type of client, um, like, like we said, we work with a lot of restaurants that are, that's always a fun area for us. But really, I mean, it's across industries. We're but not, we're pretty industry agnostic. To your point, you know, I mean, restaurants are probably a, a good uh, extreme example though, right? You have a restaurant owner that is, you know, huge employee turnover, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tons of those issues that you're talking about, long hours. So they need an attorney that's really uh, empathetic, you know, to that. And to me, uh, you know, that, that taking taking on a restaurant as an attorney to me would seem crazy, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so if you can work with a restaurant owner, you, you could probably do anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. and also uh, restaurants have huge peaks and valleys in their cash flow. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have, uh, they also have to deal with kind of the, the partners, the back office, the yeah. investors that may be saying, where's my return? Right. Yet? Significant and, debt load up. Oh front. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, all of Big those challenges. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, it does kind of take a special skill set because yeah. it's, it's feast or famine for them. And, um, and it's a lot of hurry up and wait and things get really intense and then they settle down. Um, Kim and I have been working together on a restaurant owner that we, that, um, we represent and we've had kind of a, a 
two-pronged approach because mm -hmm. they've had an issue with an employee, former employee, um, who's bringing a baseless discrimination claim, which yeah. is always disappointing when you do these case, these types of cases on behalf of employees because it, it makes the cases that are legitimate look less so right. when someone asserts a baseless sexual harassment claim or a baseless discrimination right. claim. It's, we, it's frustrating because it makes the people who do have those issues less believable. Right. Um, right. So that's, but, but we've also been working on getting an employment, an employee handbook put in place. And, you know, so many clients pull something off the internet thinking that it's a one size fits all solution. Right. And an employee handbook is, is really kind of the, the spine or the, the, um, the basis of the employee, the employment relationship. People need to put some time and money into yeah. getting it right. Um, because it really sends a message of what what kind of employer are you? Right. What right. what do you care about? What don't you care about? Um, and and it's amazing how many times people kind of just skip that step and just grab something right. that they find online and think don't. I mean, believe it or not, a lot of times they don't even read it. They yeah. just change the names <laughs> and disseminate it to their employees, and then they're wondering why their employees are expecting some certain policy that they never even realized they'd adopted. Right. So putting time into those kinds of things that are boring. I mean, right. granted, right. Yeah. they're boring. They're not fun to spend money on, but they, they do end up having a really um, important um, place in a, in a business. Well, it can, it can totally set the tone for the type of relationship that you're going to have with your employees. Yeah. And, and a lot of employees so, read them. Yeah. A lot of employees read them, even they if the do. employers don't. Yeah. yeah. They, they always, you know, when I consult with employees, they always like to point out the handbook and what the handbook says. And they, yeah. so they do read them. Hmm. Well, uh, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Is it to give sure. you, give you a call or yeah, hit the website? It. So we have a, we have a website. It's, um, we, we did our website ourselves. Yay. Yeah. Uh, almost killed ourselves doing yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but we did it and we are very proud of it. It's a www.jbjlegal.com. Um, that's probably the best way to learn about us. We also could, we'd love you love it if you followed us on Facebook or LinkedIn um, right. or Twitter, um, and please look us up on those um, social media services as well. Um, and you know certainly all of our contact information, our phone number and um, and email addresses are all on our website. So I think and that's we'll, a good place to start. And we'll put those all in the show notes mm -hmm. for everybody as well. So uh, thank you so much for yeah. joining thank us. You thank yeah. you for having us. You could yeah. for hours. Yeah, right? I really yeah. enjoyed yeah. it. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, see, and, and the other thing is, is this changed people's perspectives of attorneys. I right? hope so. <laughs> Well, at the very least, we're dog lovers, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I always share that. Step in the right direction. Right. right. I always share that. I, I want to close by sharing a story of uh, another one where, you know, uh, once upon a time, I thought the same thing that everybody else did from a business standpoint, that an attorney was a, a, a unnecessary expense mm -hmm. and everything else. But when I started my business, the first contract that I got, a uh, large contract, was from a huge organization. And I literally didn't have the funds to have it reviewed by an attorney. Mm -hmm. And I, I called up a friend of mine who's an attorney, you know, and he was like, just ask someone, they'll do it. And then, and, and sure enough, I, I got it. And he said, look, I'm going to bill you. Mm -hmm. He goes, but I'm also going to be open that once the contract closes and everything moves forward, you know, then you can take care of that. And it was an eye opener for me. Oh, you know, yeah. I thought, I thought as a business, I just had to pay, nope. you know, for, you know, every step of the way, but he was very, very empathetic to the fact that I was starting a business yeah, yeah. and everything else. And I think, um, look, Attorneys are, are people and you guys are business people. You understand how these things operate. And it's uh, so if you're 
thinking about starting a business yeah. or have started a business or you're an employee that maybe has a question, don't hesitate I to reach out. could not. Yeah. I love that you yeah. said that. Thank you for saying that because yeah. I think people are intimidated or make assumptions that that just aren't the case for us at least. Right. We will consider any fee arrangement that a client would like to talk about. Right. And because we're so used to working with small businesses and entrepreneurs and individuals, we this is all we do is work. We, we do all sorts of creative situations where people pay on a monthly, you know, pay a small monthly amount instead of a big upfront retainer, or they, they, we give them payment terms that sometimes stretch out over a year or two. If that's what they need, Uh you know, all small businesses, they don't have, and really individuals, they don't have a budget for legal. Right. They don't, right. it's not an expected expense. They, they should. They yeah. should, but you know what? They don't. Yeah. And and so we work with people. We, and we, you know, we've done, we've taken, we take credit cards so people can do it in that way. We yeah. do all sorts of different, and, and really, I mean, we will do just about anything to, to work with someone as long as it's a reasonable arrangement of and course. we're in good, and we're in good communication. Yeah. That's really all that we care about is you're speaking normal business. Right. right. That's right. what yeah. businesses do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what we all do. Exactly yeah. how every business operates. So Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't be any different. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. 